0: The sermon is based off of Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. Read Psalm 9. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you, of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of these same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, This week, we're starting, as Paul is now well-acquainted, We're beginning the book of Hebrews in our epistle uh, lesson. So we just read the entire second chapter of Hebrews, and that's pretty awesome. It's pretty rad because Hebrews is an awesome book of the uh, New Testament. And it's also an interesting one because it's difficult. Uh, Paul and I were talking about this before the service. Um, Not only is the Greek that it was written in probably the most tough Greek in the New Testament, it's also doing all sorts of new things and trying to weave together the Old Testament different characters and themes from the Old Testament, language from the Old Testament. It's trying to weave it together with Jesus Christ to try and make Jesus a more vivid picture or more full than what we get from just the Gospels alone. Um, And we get another Uh, similar type thing when we read the book of Revelation. Um, Now, no one knows exactly for sure, just simply because it isn't signed, like many of the other epistles, um, who wrote it, to be sure. But I, as usual, I side with what the early church believed and what the church passed on, and that would be that Paul wrote this. It seemed to be Written by him in a distinct way, kind of like how you might uh, when you're writing a essay for school, or you know you're writing a book, you write in a different voice than how you talk or write a letter to someone or call someone on the phone. And that seems to be what Paul's doing. He's writing almost like his Ph.D. thesis, written specifically to his fellow Jewish Christians who feel this pressure to return to Judaism because of peer pressure, family pressure, that kind of thing. So he tries to take stuff from the Old Testament and point to Jesus Christ, which is done astoundingly this week. The writer seems to, in this chapter specifically, chapter 2, be writing about humanity's, your double honor. In the first place, you're blessed with the privilege of stewardship over all creation and you're also blessed with the honor of jesus taking on human flesh and redeeming you we get the whole overarching bones of the story of scripture in this one chapter in hebrews it begins with psalm 8 which is interesting so You can either flip to Psalm 8, if you want, in your Bible, or you can flip to Hebrews 2, and you can read along. Uh, It's it's, uh, going back to the creation account, to Adam and Eve. And what it's doing is, um, it seems to be talking about Adam and Eve. It seems to be talking about us. It seems to be talking about Jesus. But which one? Which one is it talking about? Well, As the little girl in the taco commercial often says, why not both, right? Um, Let's go there. We read, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, I wonder if that would be confusing hearing it in the years going up to Jesus' ministry on earth. But I don't think so, because the first thing that should come to mind, right, is the humbleness, the humility that humans ought to have of being creatures of God. Who, who are we? Mere puny humans. We're just creatures that God, the creator of everything, the rule over everything— Why would he care about us? We're merely creatures beside other creatures here on earth. Well, God, of course, loves us so much that he gave us this huge role, this responsibility, this privilege of being, uh, having responsibility over all of creation. The privilege that we have is that we're right under angels in our nearness to God. You know, all humans seek after God in some way. And how blessed is that, that we have that innate desire, that image of God in us, that we desire God. But we also are in a place of privilege in that we are above all of other creation. We have the image of God. Yes, God breathed into us like he breathed into animals. But also, of course, we're above the plants, the earth, the stars, all that stuff. It's supposed to all be in subjection to the work of our hands, as we heard in the creation account. But it's supposed to be subject to mankind's dominion in a way that is a reflection of God's dominion over all things. And what does that look like? Well, Isaiah says that it looks like Everything flourishing according to its purpose. So like um, if you have a hamster it's running on its wheel you know it's being fully a hamster and running on its wheel. Uh, If you have a plant in your house you water it every day so that it can uh, grow, grow towards the sunlight. It can get nice and turgid and uh, green. You feed it maybe with a little fertilizer if you spoil it spoil your plant. And then of course you know if you're have a child, you, you baptize your child, you raise it in the faith, you uh, take it to church, you, you love on it, it's, uh, you make sure it flourishes under your care. That is what Adam and Eve were tasked with, that is what we are tasked with, that everything under our care might flourish as God intended. Unfortunately, in Hebrews 2, in verse 8, we diagnose a problem. Something has gone wrong uh, with that responsibility that was left in our hands. It says, Now, in putting everything in subjection to Adam and Eve, God left nothing outside their control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus. So, here in the now, not yet. Of Jesus returning we are yet to see that everything is under Jesus' control. We think it's all just under our control. And this is where I would have stepped in with my children's message to show everybody my new swimming goggles and how when you go in a pool you can't open your eyes because it burns your eyes and you can't see and you probably will hit the wall when you do a flip turn You know, Ryan and Colin, both swimmers, right? Um, However, when you put on the goggles, you can see the wall. You can see the things you're diving for in the pool. And in the same way, in a similar way, when we put on our faith that Jesus has given us, the goggles of faith, we can see that everything is in subjection to Jesus Christ. There is nothing outside his control. Well, we find ourselves not ruling over creation for the flourishing of all things, as God intended. To not be the hands of God caring for his creation. Instead, we want to rule, we want to be in control in place of God. We want to have rule for our benefit, to have control for our benefit. And so everything has gone wrong. People become domineering and cruel. We use up natural resources at an alarming rate. Uh, People resent one another as they try to gain as much power as possible. And we we become increasingly individual and individualistic. And so that's why Paul continues in Hebrews chapter 2 to point to Jesus Christ. In verse 9 and 10, he is sounding just like he does in other epistles, where he is pointing to Jesus Christ, like 1 Corinthians 8, Colossians 1. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the creator of all things, but he's also the redeemer of all things. The creator came down, right, right? It is not good for man, for humanity, to be alone. The creator came down and himself became a creature like you or I. He breathed our air. He was given the same measure of, to live life, God's law, but he did it perfectly. He was not met with approval for the world, the darkness could not receive him. He instead received rejection, resentment. He suffered and was killed. For this, he was crowned on the cross with all glory and honor, as it says in Hebrews. For, as we sing today in the This is the Feast hymn, for being perfectly obedient to God, even to the point of death on a cross. Now, isn't it fitting, as Hebrews writes, As it says in verse 10, isn't it fitting that he who created everything, who is the source of all things, the logos, as John would call Jesus, the source of all things, the seed of all things, the foundational block, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, Jesus Christ. Isn't it fitting that he who created everything, that everything flows from, that he would also bring many To salvation as well. That he who made everything would also be responsible for saving, redeeming everything. That is the linchpin of Hebrews chapter 2. The creator of all things is also the savior of all things. Isn't it fitting that he would make all things new? That he would make you a new creation? The writer calls Jesus the founder of salvation. But I think that um, a more fitting title or translation, in the same way that they write Bibles for people in Jamaica, Hawaii, right? That for a translation for us Americans, I think it would be better if Jesus was called the pioneer of salvation, as he's called in the last stanza of our sermon him for today, the pioneer of our salvation. In many translations, they use this pioneer word because what does a pioneer do, right? I don't even, maybe some of you guys went to Pioneer Day in Elk Grove Village in September. I know I celebrated Pioneer Day when I was a young lad. Uh, grew up just near here and I dressed up like a pioneer and did everything that pioneers did on one day. Well, what do they do? They go ahead of everyone else, and they do it first, taking on great risk on behalf of their people group or humanity at large. It's what a pioneer does. The pioneers of America, they went west. This used to be the west. That's why it's called the Midwest. Now, this was the west. They would go far into the wilderness among the risks of animal and Indian attacks, They would work the land, they'd develop it, they would fight off that wilderness, and all who followed after, us included, we shared in the benefits of their pioneering work. Jesus Christ came down to earth, hacked and slashed with his machete into the dark wilderness of this world, the danger of this world, to a savage people who rejected and killed him, and he died. And then he emerged from the tomb to a new resurrected life in which you and I all share. But Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, it's specific. Jesus came for one of many specific reasons. Yes, he was crowned with glory and honor for his obedience, his death. But now everything is in subjection to him. He is the second Adam. In the same way that the first Adam and Eve, all things were given to him and her to be subject to their control and their dominion and authority, all creation, they messed up and failed. Now Jesus, the second Adam, has come and done it perfectly. All things are in subjection to him. When there's a storm on the sea, he calmed the storm, he calmed the waters. When there wasn't enough food or wine, he made it happen. He brought it out out of nowhere, as the Messiah was to. I mean, when people died, he resurrected, he raised them from the dead. He defeated death. And now we get to share the benefits of that as our pioneer. He was the pioneer of our resurrection, our salvation. Jesus became man to take the reins back. To show us once and for all that mankind isn't at the top of the totem pole. He alone holds the reins over all things. Our dominion over creation ought to mirror and show that to the world which is perishing, that he is Lord. He is in control. And so Jesus leads us to make the confession of verse 13. I will put my trust in him. His life, not mine. His death, not mine. His resurrection, which is now mine. The most important thing being the fear of death. Think of the Genesis reading today. Adam says, you are the bone of my bone at last, the flesh of my flesh. A rib was taken out of him. Woman was created. A perfect helper a perfect companion for him made of his own same substance that is the same thing with jesus christ i mean look at the front of this bulletin everybody halloween is here jesus came down and became of one flesh with us so that we are no longer two but one flesh This is our confession to Jesus, both in Advent, or as we're about to start Advent, and we remember that Jesus became incarnate, just like us, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. But it also reminds us that he is literally of one flesh with us, a brother to us all, made of the same rib. Check out verse 14 in Hebrews 2. It says, what was important was that Jesus took part in the same things that we do. Most importantly, he died like we all have to. So that through his death, he would defeat and destroy the one who has the power over it, who is the devil. And so he has delivered all those who are lifelong slaves to the fear of death. You were once afraid of suffering and death. But now you know that death is not the end, and instead only the beginning of eternity with your Savior when you put your trust in him. And so now suffering, disease, they do not scare you because you have the promise of eternal life. You receive the medicine of immortality in Christ's body and blood, literally the bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh, where you intimately become one, with Jesus, think, Jesus on the cross, pierced side, blood and water comes out, the forgiveness of sins rushes out of his side, the water of baptism rushes out of his side, in the same way that Adam's rib was taken out of his side, and his helper was made for him, one flesh. This is the same relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Everything, everything, everything is under his control. Us, the world, the scary stuff on TV, any disease, any variant is under control of Jesus Christ. Death, the devil, all under his control. We may not be able to see it now, but with our eyes of faith that we put on, that are given us by Jesus Christ, we can begin to see now, as through a glass darkly. And one day soon, we will see him. We will see it all face to face. Amen.